Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Heather Cox. Heather is the co-founder and president of Certify My Company, a leading certification consultancy that assists diverse businesses with all aspects of certification and connects certified businesses with the corporations eager to do business with them. Heather educates corporations about diversity practices and collaborates with managers of supplier diversity programs to help them reach their diversity goals. She currently serves on the national and regional forums for Women's Business Enterprise Council West, has held posts with the Women's with the Woman Presidents Educational Organization, WB National Council, the National Association of Women Business Owners, and was on the advisory board for Super Bowl 58. She's a former acro gymnast, tightrope walker, and juggler, so knows just how to balance her hectic life with yoga, DIY projects, and baking. Heather, good afternoon. Hi. <laughs> That's quite an intro you put together there. Absolutely. And I'm stunned to understand how somebody goes from being an acro gymnast, tightrope walker and juggler to being the president of a certification consultancy. So perhaps you can start off by telling us your origin story. I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Every juggler that I've ever interviewed goes on to... Every juggler. <laughs> to being a, a president of a certification consulting. So it kind of was one of those things that it just kind of happened. Back in my day of college, there was no entrepreneurship degrees. Now there, there actually is. There was no diversity degrees and now there is. But way back when, and like long, long ago, as my kids like to say, <laughs> there wasn't these things. So my degree is actually in Spanish and French. So after college, after finishing up my tenure in the circus and my tenure in public school, I went off to Spain and then I went on to the University of Texas at Austin, where I had my degrees. And the plan was to do international hospitality. But this little event called 9-11 happened, which kind of put a little hiccup in my plans of being international hospitality. So I came back to, to California and was working in sales and operations. And then I was like, oh, I was just feeling kind of lost and needed to like find myself. So off to Israel, I went. And if I found myself, that's still kind of up in the air. I did, however, find a husband. And over the next 10 years, right, I, um, I got married, I had five children, and I started this company. But why I started the company was kind of one of those random things that happened because I didn't really know what I wanted to do at this point. I knew I was pregnant with the, my first kid, and I knew that corporate America wasn't always so mommy-friendly. So I was just interviewing a bunch of people, like a bunch of women business owners, women executives, like anybody I could get in front of to ask questions about their career path. And the entrepreneurs really resonated with me. I had no interest in being an entrepreneur, but their energy, their passion, all of that really resonated with me. So I continued those conversations more. And somewhere along the line, many of them started talking about this certification that their clients wanted them to have, but they just couldn't finish the application. Now, in my mind, I'm like, 
you run a $500,000, $2 million, $10 million company. I'm sorry, you can't fill out an application? Like, I did, it didn't make any sense to me how somebody who was clearly so smart, whether you want to say book smart, street smart, whatever, couldn't get this done. So I went home and I did a little research. And this the thing with certification is that it's very detail-oriented. And the questions they ask you if you've ever thought about it, it hasn't been since day one when you started the company. Like when was the last time you looked at your governing documents of your company? People don't do that on a regular basis because why would they? So they assume that it says one thing when in reality, a lot of times the templated documents render companies ineligible for certification that they are actually eligible for. So I said to them, I can do it for you. Now I had no idea what I was getting into. No idea what that meant, but 12 years later, hey, here we are, still doing diversity certifications. Okay, brilliant. And I love the way that you, you kind of went from being a, a gymnast to heading up a company, which is great. So all you gymnasts <laughs> out there, it's definitely doable. So, um, okay, let's take a step back. What is supplier diversity? That is a great question. So supplier diversity, plain and simple, is the buying of goods and services from companies that are owned by women, ethnic minorities, LGBT individuals, disabled individuals, or veterans. Okay. Now, you, anyone can say they're anything. And that's the point of certification, right? I can tell you I'm a Hispanic-owned business. Tell me I'm not. So the point of certification is to prove that, that whatever demographic they say they are, they own, operate, and control the company. Right. And so why would a company want to be certified to be any of those things? If I am the CEO of a company majority owned by minorities, if that's right. That is correct, so yeah. <laughs> why would I want to be certified? Why is that going to help me? Okay, so we'll start with the private sector because it's my personal preference, the private sector, meaning the Fortune 1000 companies. Over and over again in every study they've done, and there's an organization called the Hackett Group who does these studies almost on an annual basis. And every single time, whether it be them, McKinsey, any of those organizations, they do studies on this. It turns out that companies with robust supplier diversity programs see a significant return on their investment to their supply chain. So the study that came out um, a few years ago was that was 133% return on their investment into their supply chain by utilizing diverse suppliers. They can actually point out the percentage of sales that they can, as their supplier diversity program incrementally grew, their sales, their gross sales grew as well. Because what happens is that it brings in different thoughts. It seems it brings in different practices, different viewpoints into your supply chain. So let's use like a retail as the easiest because it's the most tangible to kind of wrap our heads around. So about five years ago, Walmart did a study. And Walmart knows that women control approximately $5 trillion of local of domestic consumer spending. And they make about 83 to 85% of all consumer decisions across the board in the U.S., so Walmart was like, I would like more of that money. Like, how can we get more of those dollars into our pocket? Okay, now I'm paraphrasing that wasn't what they said, but I'm just going to assume that this was kind of in the back of their mind. So they asked their customer base a bunch of questions. One of them was to the female consumers. If you went in to buy shampoo, again, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> would you be more likely to buy a shampoo over another one if you could easily identify it as women-owned? So Simon, what percentage, and if I told you this, Pretend I didn't. I don't know if I told you this or not. But what percentage of the female consumers said they'd be more likely to buy a product if they could identify it as women-owned? 25%. 90%. 90%. 90%. 90% of female consumers said they would buy 
a product over another product, meaning they're not going to say like, oh, I'm just going in for toilet paper and mascara, but I see this woman-owned shampoo, I'll buy that. If they're going in for toilet paper and one says woman-owned and one does not, they would be more like they would go out of their way to buy that woman-owned one. Why do you think that is? Well, the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, is that a side part of it from across the board, the consumers all said they also assume it is a higher quality product when it's women-owned. Are we talking about products that are sort of designed with women in mind, as in women are the target customer? So for example, I don't know, let's take... Like makeup? makeup yeah, for okay, fine. Let's say right. lipstick, right? So, right. Or, 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 you know, lip gloss or, or whatever, right? I can imagine being not a woman, I can imagine that uh, a woman might prefer, uh, you know, a lip gloss that has been manufactured by a woman-owned business because the people that design this product understand me as a consumer better. But I don't know a pen, a pair of scissors, a mouse mat. I'm just looking around. But remember, women make make this 83 to 85% of all consumer decisions. So that's everything from cleaning products to pens to carpet to, you know, whatever is being purchased for houses, women are making 83 to 85% of all those decisions. Right. Doesn't necessarily matter if it's a female product, right? If it's something for like a lipstick or a hair product, there are a lot of those, right? There's a lot of companies that are women owned their hair products, baby products, especially, you know, moms feel very comfortable knowing, but think about like CLR, which is the calcium lime rust cleaner. Okay. That is a woman owned company. Now, when I first heard that Walmart study, I was like, no way, dude. I'm a savvy, sophisticated shopper. I wouldn't do that, right? Except that I'm then I'm sitting in a conference and Allison, who owns and runs CLR, is talking about how she took over the company and she's changed up some of the formulations. And their new tagline was, we get rid of yuck. Now, at the time, I only had three kids. So I was thinking, I have a lot of yuck in my house. I got even more now. But I had, even back then, I had a lot of yuck in my house. And I caught myself thinking, well, she has three kids. There's no way she'd make a product that she wouldn't use with her kids. So I would for sure use it around my kids. Right. So that, and then I was like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what this study is capturing. Now, a side note, the wine intelligence magazine did a very similar study because apparently 70% of all wine purchases in the U S are made by women, probably more after 2020, but this was pre 2020, this statistic happened. So 70% of all wine purchases are made by females. Okay. So the wine industry wanted to know if that statistic would hold true in the wine, talking about a product that's not specifically designed for women. Right. So they asked the female consumers of wine. They said, if you could easily identify a woman owned wine, would you be more likely to buy it? What percentage do you think said they would? Okay. I'm going to go with the same kind of number, 80 something percent. 90%. It held true. It's always a joke going to Target with me and the kids because they're like, mommy, woman owned peanut butter. <laughs> Through the aisles. Because it's something we talk about all the time in our house. The additional component, if you're talking about like minority owned businesses, is that 70 cents of every dollar you spend in like a minority owned company goes back to the demographic. So it's a way of improving communities. It improves schools. It you know, increases tax dollars. It in increases consumer spending. And you've seen all those memes that like, you know, when you buy from a woman owned company, you're not buying a CEO, a second house, you're buying a little girl dance lessons or a little yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's so true, right? If 70 cents at every dollar is going back to that community, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, just playing devil's advocate for a second, do you not think ultimately it's going to come down to, you know, the quality of the product? I mean, right? look, I tell clients all the time, 
if you're not as good and you're more expensive, I don't care how many certifications you have, you're not getting it. You have to be just as good. And in most cases, even better to get the same level of attention that a non-diverse owned company gets. Procurement's always been a pretty male dominated component of any corporation. Right. And so they tend to buy from people that they know and that you typically know people that are a lot like you. So yeah. that's just, you know, and, and human nature in general does not like change. Okay. Think about anyone who's started at the gym. Most of the time, they're not just like, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go to the gym today. Usually it's because their doctor told them that their blood pressure is too high. Their cholesterol is too high. Their pants are fitting too tight now, something like that. So they're like, Oh, I better start working out. or eating right. But they're not going to just do it out of the blue, especially if it seems like it's something hard. So if you've been buying a product or a service from a company for three years, four years, and it doesn't seem like it's broken, why are you going to change? You're not going to. Right. Just like the gym, give it a couple of weeks, couple of months, and you're like, oh, wow, my clothes fit better. Maybe I dropped a couple of points on the cholesterol. I feel better. I have more energy. So even though it didn't feel like you needed to change, by making the change, there's been additional benefits. And right. that's what happens by implementing supplier diversity goals is that because people don't like to change, this kind of gives people like a little bit of that nudge, makes their pants feel a little tight so that they have to try something else. And 99% of diverse suppliers meet or exceed expectations over and over again. I can understand that there's kind of social responsibility elements right. and also an economic benefit to a corporation like Walmart deciding, right, okay, we want to right. access um, more of the kind of female dollar. So we're going to encourage more supply diversity. Okay. Right. So what's in it for companies that qualify to get themselves certified? they get more opportunity. So let's say, for example, my favorite analogy is most companies and you own a business, you've probably knocked on the doors of companies and they're like, either they don't answer or they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get back to you. Any entrepreneur is always going to struggle, right? I talk to you for five minutes. They're like, either totally ignore you or they're like, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then nothing ever happens. Right. So the supplier diversity is like a side door, right? And if you're certified, you get access to that side door. It's called the supplier diversity side door is what I call it. Now, does every company have it? No. I actually, I call it the, the Winchester Mansion doors. Are you familiar with the Winchester Mansion? No. Okay. So in Northern California, there is a mansion called the Winchester Mansion, which was created, it was owned by the Winchester Rifle family. Oh, they made a movie about this a couple of years ago. With Harry oh, Martin really? Martin. Well, the widow of the Winchester Rifle founder went crazy as she got older and she heard voices and they said to her, if you keep building, you'll never die. So she just like built all these crazy walls. Like you open a door on the fourth floor and it goes a, a four-story drop or you open a cabinet in the kitchen and it goes to a brick wall. So there are Winchester doors that are the say supplier diversity. They probably even have flashing lights, but you open the door and nothing happens. Right. But for the companies who truly have supplier diversity programs, you open that door and you have a VIP escort known as a supplier diversity manager that is going to walk you into the person you need to meet. Now, once you get to that person you have to meet, you better sell like any other sale you're ever going to do in your life. You better sell hard. But then if it's you and someone else in that final round and they're like, ooh, how are we going to choose? They're both so good. They're competitive. Oh, that company's diversity is certified. Now it's just tip the scales in your favor. Right. That's why people get certified. Right. So it's not a silver bullet, but it's another. Not a magic wand. Right. It's a very powerful tool, but like any other tool, you have to use it. You have to work it. You can't be like, I'm certified. Where's my million dollar contracts raining from the sky? Hmm. You have to use it like a tool. It's not a magic wand. 
And there's also, just from your intro, when we talk about things like the Women's Business Enterprise Council and the WB National Council, are these networking organizations where people can kind of meet up? And yes. So how, how does all that work? And that is the best part of that, about the private sector certifications in like almost every state in the country, not Nevada, but almost every state in the country has um, a proper supplier diversity program where you can get certified, but you're not going to get the networking opportunities like you just mentioned. So with WeBank, with NMSDC, which is the National Minority Supplier Development Council or NGLCC, which is the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. There's the NVBDC, which is National Veterans Business Development Council, and then there's Disability In. Those are the big five organizations, as I call them. They all have networking opportunities. Right now, most of them are virtual, but you normally get them in person where you get to walk up. Let's say I want to do business with Bristol Myers Squibb. I can walk right up there and be like, hey, I'm Heather. This is what my company does. This is why we're going to rock your world. Oh, and by the way, I'm certified as a woman in disability owned business. Wow. So, that face to face. Like, so I, don't have to try to, is that, I don't have to try to email them for two months. Hey, can we jump on a call? If you're not good at that and you're like, hey, by the way, bye for me. I'm super cool. Yeah, you're not, it's not going to work. You have to like obviously know how to network and do that whole process. But the fact you can start a relationship in person, face to face, which always trumps emails and phone calls. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So it's fantastic additional networking opportunity. Yeah, it's a great business development, but it's also a company development tool. And that's what people forget about most of the time. Because so here's a perfect example of what I mean by that. So certified my company sells directly to the entrepreneurs, but we also sell to the Fortune 100 because we're going to help them elevate, enhance their supplier diversity programs. Especially after 2020, you probably saw a lot of those public proclamations about companies who are saying, we're going to spend a million dollars with, you know, women of color owned businesses. We're going to spend a billion dollars in certified diverse businesses. A lot of these corporations were publicly proclaiming these goals. So that's what certified my company can help them get to those goals. Okay. So I applied through one of my certifications for a mentorship program. So Toyota has an amazing mentorship program and they pair you up with two executives from within the company. So one of these executives happens to be the CIO of Toyota North America. She was previously the CEO of Toyota Financial. Her perspective from the C-suite of a Fortune 100 company is invaluable to me. It's invaluable. I couldn't pay a consultant enough to give me present day C-suite perspective on what I do. So I'm like, Holly, everyone says like, Heather, you're such a genius. Oh, Heather, you're amazing. I mean, we're not going to hire you, but so like, okay, what am I missing, Holly? Like, from, they're telling me I'm amazing, but they're not writing me a check. What, what's the disconnect? So she's helping me craft my message. How do I need to explain what we do to the corporate America so they understand why we're so essential to their supply chain? That company development's unbelievable, right? Additionally, Carol, who's one of the general managers, she's my other mentor, she runs their training program. So anytime I make a video, I send it to her and I say, what needs to be tweaked? What needs to be fixed? What should I do to enhance this? And she gives me her feedback as both a training coordinator, but also an executive with a Fortune 100 company. Wow. And all this has been made possible from these networking and business development opportunities. Correct. Wow. That's amazing. What qualifies somebody to, uh, as, as being able to be certified? So if I'm thinking, okay, you know, one of my companies, I want to get certified. What are the kind of the base criteria as in, if it's not, if I don't have any of this, then it's not even worth thinking about. Perfect. So I'm going to just use women for now, but you can substitute in ethnic minority. You can substitute in LGBT veteran, whatever demographic you want to certify, because you can't mix and match. You have to 
choose a lane and stay in that lane. So okay. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you now, what are the available lanes before we sort of dig, dig right. into it? What are the available lanes? So okay. women, women, okay. Ethnic minorities, which is black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian, Asian Pacific, and native American. Okay. LGBT, uh, veteran, you have to be an active duty for um, at least 18 months for to have the veteran status. You have to have a DD-214. And then the last one is disability. So disability is actually the most misunderstood certification out there because people often think it's just, can you not hear, walk, or see? But in actuality, the disability certification covers everything that the ADA has identified as a disability. That's everything from ADHD, anxiety, thyroid conditions, sleep apnea, diabetes, like metastatic cancers, recovering addiction, anything that causes, we'll call it an outside force to manage. And what do I mean by that is think of someone with sleep apnea. They sleep with a CPAP machine. And if they don't, they don't get the right oxygen. So they're fuzzy the whole next day. If you've ever met somebody who has severe sleep apnea, the next day if they don't have their CPAP machine, it's almost as if they didn't sleep the entire night. So that renders them eligible for the disability in certification because they need that CPAP machine in order to continue to run their business in an effective manner. So if somebody is, for example, if they are a, you know, a white straight male, they may still qualify un- under uh, disability. And I-, I would imagine that there'll be a webpage on the ADA that'll kind of give a list of, yes. uh, of, their, of their... And Disability In also has that same list on their website as well. Right. Okay. We'll post that in, in the show. Yeah. So being English, I'm not really an ethnic minority, but I could be disabled. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. And you know, it's so interesting because people for a long time, nobody want, I always kind of analogize it to where NGLCC was 10 years ago where no one wanted to come out, but now no one cares. Right. Like, ah, okay. Who cares? But now people are still feeling it's very taboo to say I have a disability. Right. And I've even had people say like, I'm a recovering alcoholic, but I don't want to take that opportunity away from somebody with a real disability. Recovering alcohol is, is a real disability. Think about every networking event you go to. I have never been to one that did not have alcohol at it. So for somebody who struggles with that battle, that is a very difficult thing you have to overcome at every single business event. Right. Okay. You're not taking the opportunity away. The whole point is to grow the pie of opportunity. You're not taking it away from anybody. And I will tell you, I've had a client who shouldn't have a hand. And I said to her, she brought it up in conversation that or something else. I said, oh, you disability and certified. She's like, I've never looked at it as a disability. Which is why she's a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurs don't look at anything as a disability. They just overcome it. Doesn't mean you still don't want to like help create, lift the other businesses out there. And anytime a business gets certified, that's a successful business. You are elevating every other diverse business out there. I wonder, because I know a few people who do have disabilities and they're always very, well, always is probably too strong a word, but that there is a, an inherent kind of reluctance to be the, seen by others or even by themselves to, to be exploiting it. Yes. Right? How, how would you, not necessarily convince, but how would you posit that it's a legitimate step to take? It's not you know, sort of uh, shameless exploitation. It's no different than the women's certification or the ethnic minority certification. It's just until we don't need these certifications anymore, you can't count what you can't measure. So if we don't know who's actually in the supply chain, we can't know all these statistics that have been rattling off this whole conversation. Right. We don't know that 20% of your supply chain is women-owned, and that you saw a growth of 20% that you can't correlate that. So you have to have these certifications or to quantify what's working and what's making things successful. Right. And that's one of the reasons I got certified. My company disability and certified it was exactly that reason, because we may have invisible disabilities, the owners of certified my company, 
But by doing so, it, we're able to take away the taboo a little bit because people know who we are in the supplier diversity world. And sometimes you'll hear people say like, oh, I don't know if a disability owned company can do that. Oh, they sure can. There are multi-billion dollar companies that are certified. You, you don't want to put them in that compartment, but by getting certified, you're, as I said, you're elevating all the other companies and giving them exposure on top of just your own company's exposure. Is certification confidential? I mean, the reason you're certified? Yeah. Well, like I have the Adobe and the WeBank. I have, you know, it says that I'm a disability owned business and I'm a woman business enterprise. Now it's not really the right thing to do and be like, so what's your disability? Right. People don't typically ask. It's just like, you can't be like, so are you LGB or T? You can't really <laughs> ask those questions. Now, some people do. Some people are more open about it. Right. But you don't have to use the logo. You don't have to. But it's like saying I bought dumbbells, but I'm only going to use them like occasionally. Like they're not going to give you as much of an, of an outcome if you're only occasionally using it. Right. I don't know whether this is appropriate or not, but when you talk about there are multi-billion dollar businesses out there that are um, certified. certified as disabled owned and people thinking, well, maybe a disabled owned company couldn't necessarily do that. Actually, they can because are there any examples that you would feel comfortable sharing of companies that you know are disabled owned? And it's a case of if people hear a list, if people are listening to this and thinking, maybe I should get certified, but I'm not sure citing a couple of examples of companies who have been certified and it's given them a real boost. Well, I can give you an, a minority one for sure, because, okay. and there's some great, she's done some great interviews and she's actually where I got a lot of my, um, like elevates other companies because so Janice Bryant Howard, I think her last name is she runs act one. So it's a large staffing organization, multi-billion dollars. So she got certified when she was in the mid million dollar range. So now she's multi-billion dollars and people ask her all the time, why do you still get certified? Like you don't need a leg up anymore. And she said, cause it gives everybody else a leg up. The fact that my multi-billion dollar company is certified as an ethnic minority owned businesses shows that it takes the risk thought about the risk involved in working with minority owned businesses away from other businesses. Right. That's great. She's the most outspoken about it being that big of a company, but yeah, there's definitely, I mean, think of love bites. What is her name? Carney Wilson. I, I was okay. going to get that. Yeah. Carney Wilson started a company called love bites. Mm -hmm. She got certified for the exact same reason. Her name alone is going to get her in. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so let me just say you hold on for a second. She's, like, <laughs> she's got all the meetings lined up she wants, but she understands that by her saying I'm a woman-owned business, not only is she creating opportunities for other women-owned businesses, but she's studying the standards and like, yeah, you should say I'm a woman-owned business if you are. Right. So once someone's identified that they are um, and they know which lane they're going to be in, then what? So the company has to be 51% owned, operated, and controlled or more, more 50% or more. So what do I mean by that? So the ownership is pretty straightforward. Do they own the company 51% or not? Now, the only caveat to the simplistic part of it is that let's say there's a hundred shares in a company, 50 are voting and 50 are non-voting. You still have to own 51% of the total shares. Right. Okay. And then 51% of the voting shares as well, minimally. So then there's operation. Does whatever demographic we're talking about work in the company on a day-to-day -day basis and do they have the highest ranking title in the company per the governing documents? So if I said to you, and you might know this already, but what's the highest title in a corporation? What would you say? I'm assuming CEO. It's actually a president. Per governing documents, nine times out of 10, president is the highest ranking title. Right. So let's say you and I start a company, I own 51% and you own 49%. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the CEO. And you're like, okay, I'll be the president. Well, we're not eligible now. Wow. Certification.
because per those governing documents. Now, then the third part is the control. Again, per those governing documents, who has ultimate control of the company? It has to be whatever demographic you're certifying. Right. Now it gets very tricky because people, as I said earlier, will use these templated bylaws or templated governing documents. And I don't care if you spent $80 an hour on attorney or $880 an hour on attorney, they use the same templates. Yes. So, <laughs> it's the same one. So you have to know what you're looking for inside of those, or if you're taking on investors. All of these little pieces, or if you're doing succession planning and you have things going to a trust, these all come into play about the eligibility of the company, right. which is why it's so important to get somebody who knows what they're talking about to work with you on it. Right. Okay. And I wonder who that might be. No. <laughs> I, was, I would say certify my company. I'm just... I'm sure, absolutely. <laughs> As would I. As would I. Okay. Just a, a moment to, to talk about certify my company. And you you can offer this assistance only in the state of Nevada or nationwide? No, or we're nationwide. We actually done Canada as well. The only hiccup when we go globally is the language barrier sometimes. Right. Uh, but yeah, so we are work nationwide. We do all private sector certifications, all state, local, county. The only two we don't do is 8A and HubZone, but we have strategic partners that we can refer out to, which are the more of the SBA side of the certifications. But yeah, we do all of those across the board. Okay, great stuff. So what's next for, for you and for Certify My Company? Well, one thing I noticed over this 12 years of facilitating diversity certifications was that a few years after I would certify clients, they would come back to us and say, I'm not recertifying. I'm like, why? Like, why would you not recertify? I don't get it. And like, I got nothing out of my certification. So from my perspective, I've seen countless companies get so much you know, like exposure, contracts, introductions, business development, like all the different components we've talked about. And I couldn't understand like what was happening. Like there was a gap between people getting certified and then figuring out how to use it. So I was like trying to find answers for them. Like trying to find a program for them. There's like webinars, like I'm certified now what, which are an hour long, or there's some of the different regions across the country have some day programs or four day programs, but nothing was accessible to all entrepreneurs because somebody just can't leave for four days. You don't always have staff to do it or it doesn't work for family reasons, whatever it is. So I couldn't find one that worked. Plus all of the programs out there only focus if you want to do business with the large companies. But remember there's 20,000 certified minority-owned businesses out there, 15,000 certified women-owned businesses, thousands of veterans, thousands of LGBT and almost a thousand disability-owned businesses. So right there is a huge pool of people that you can also sell to. So none of these programs were educating companies how to use their certification to sell to the entrepreneurs as well as the corporations. So when entrepreneurs can't find something, they create it. So I partnered with another woman-owned business who I'd known for decades. And I said to her, "I, I really want to create this program to teach people how to leverage their certification across the board. And she's like, I love it. So we came up with a curriculum and we created Diversity Masterminds which is an eight part virtual, and it was virtual before virtual was cool. It was eight part virtual course that teaches you how to leverage your certification. And we just launched the on-demand version. We recorded them. So it's obviously a lower price point. You could do it at your own speed, but that shows you exactly how to leverage your certification. And I will tell you, people say to us all the time, I learned more in the first hour of the course than I did in three years of being certified. That's amazing. And where can people get hold of that? 
So that's diversitymasterminds.com. And then certify my company is certifymycompany.com. Those are the two main websites. You can find them all over social media. Certify my co is for certify my company and div masterminds is for diversity masterminds. We're always posting fun, cool products that are diverse owned. Yes. If you ever need a cool product, you let me know. I'll help you find it. (laughs) Great stuff. And we'll put links to all of those down there. And so how can anyone reach you personally? You can always find me on social media, as I said, or you can email me at heather at certifymycompany.com or heather at diversitymasterminds.com. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, Heather Cox, thank you so much for joining us on the conference room. It's been a real pleasure pleasure. talking to you and uh, I wish you all the very best for the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact, anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, Or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to the conference room. Until next time, keep talking.